Hi, my name is Nick Baudois, and I'm on a quest, yes, a quest, to discover what motivates, drives, and invigorates practitioners in the field of data science. More importantly, I'd like to take the time to unpack the term data analytics and data science. We hear these terms used interchangeably in the market and seldom sit down to ask what is meant by this nascent field with historical roots in the fields of statistics, mathematics, programming, business, design thinking, data visualization, and various domain expertise. Throughout this podcast, we'll look at the core foundations, separate the important elements from the hype, including the must-haves and the like-to-haves of the data science toolkit. We will ask the movers and shakers of the data science world about their own career trajectory. How did they get to where they are now? How do they find answers and methods to problems that are new to them? And what makes them excited to continue in this field? My hope is that both the newly acquainted and mature data scientists can gain something from this podcast. By looking at diverse journeys to become a data scientist, we can uncover what is meant to have a foothold in the functional and technical world of data expertise. In essence, we will be discovering how to translate nerd. Hi, welcome to Translating Nerd. My name's Nick Baudois, and I am here with Andres Meneses. Did I get that last name right? You did. Yeah, great job. <laughs> <laughs> and we are in Washington, D.C., downtown in Adams Morgan, at a restaurant slash hotel called The Line. Um, Andres, tell us a little bit about The Line. The Line is this um, really cool new hotel that opened up in the neighborhood. We badly needed a venue like this. And what they did is they took over an old church that was falling down and repurposed it into a hotel and they built a big building behind it. So when you look at it from the front, it looks like an old church. And in the back, they have all the rooms. Um, but it's a cool concept because they want to have people in the lobby at all times. So their lobby on both flanks has two restaurants and then it has co-working spaces in between the restaurants. And so that's exactly where we are right now. So if you hear a lot of background noise, people chatting, there seems to be a couple different languages going on, the clinking and clattering of dishes, that's what it is, don't be alarmed. So Andres, I was really excited to bring you onto the podcast Translating Nerd because I've known you for maybe four, five years and originally when I met you, you had worked for a long time at the World Bank, in fact, 12 that's, years. That's almost 12, yeah. Okay, as a technical project manager. Correct. Tell us a little bit what you did at the World Bank. Yeah, when I joined, um, I joined the uh, Publishing and Knowledge Unit, uh, which was in charge of, it was like having an in-house publishing house. It was basically an in-house publishing house for the World Bank, um, where all the research and projects and results that were generated from all the different projects and all the different areas that the bank works um, would get translated translated and converted into publications so when I joined it was a print-based operation and part of the work that we did from the time I joined till the time I left was transform the operation into a web first operation we still kept the print side of it but we realized we needed to maximize all the flexibility that the web offered then we ventured into mobile apps um, 
And around what year was this? Um, when, this was, when you guys made the switch from uh, paper-based publications? It was between 2005 to 2008, if I remember correctly. And that's when a lot of publications really started to make that switch to online development. Yes. Yeah, so I think we, we hit, hit the spot right on time for, for that. We, we were definitely, when you compared it at other um, scholarly publishing houses, we were definitely more towards the forefront than, <laughs> than falling behind. And so what, what's intriguing about your story is how you left that behind and you went on to become... Um, a front-end web developer who seems to have made a name for himself in Washington, D.C. fairly quickly. Um, how did, what made you think of uh, doing a mid-career switch like that? You know, I've, as a technical project manager, part of my role was to manage different vendors that contributed to the work we did. And amongst those vendors, we had web developer vendors. And I could... I, I was just jealous of how much flexibility they had. You know, they could work from wherever they wanted. And part of my major in college included web development, but my first jobs out of college required me to use more of my project management skills than my web development skills. It's a very Washington, D.C. thing to say. Yeah, so I thought, hey, I knew once how to code. <laughs> Why not relearn it? Especially now when you have so many great online resources. Just learning is so much easier nowadays than 10 years ago. There's a plethora of online resources, whether it's something like a Coursera or Udemy or um, we Code about Academy. Udacity, Udacity before Udacity. this, right? Yes. There are so many out there that it's much easier if you know what you want to study and and you stick to it for, <laughs> for a while. So what, what resource did you turn to first when you said, okay, I want, I want to get back in the game. I want to get back, you know, uh, some of the coding chops that I had when I was a student. What did you look at? I did research specifically on finding out what other people had done to make the switch. So I looked at podcasts that were focused on web development or programming. Um, I forget the name. I'll, I'll look, look it up, but there's the name of this great podcast. Um, I'll, I'll give it to you in a second. But so I, I, I did research on research blogs, podcasts that spoke about these mm -hmm. things just to see what resources other people had used. Um, I connected with people in my professional network that were doing what I was doing or knew someone that was doing what I was doing. I started attending as many meetups, tech-related meetups mm -hmm. as I could. I uh, really liked the DC Tech meetup. Did you find, so you found the meetup scene pretty helpful? Yeah, I did. Okay. Just because you could go there and attend different sessions and people are presenting their projects and that's where you get to see what type of work is getting done, what opportunities are out there. And a lot of times you find people from various professions. I remember we went, I went to a meetup a couple of months ago for design thinking, 
and there were front end guys, there were back end gals, there were people from you know project management roles, um, kind of from all gamuts of various industries. And I think with a lot of meetups is that that's usually what you find. If it's the right meetup, of course, there's the meetups where um, you know two people attend regularly, and that's about it. So. Yeah, I mean, it could be hit or miss, but you'll always learn something, no matter which one you go to. So after you, you made the choice on what program, which was free, free Code Camp, was it? I did a little bit of Free Code Camp. In fact, I'm going back to Free Code Camp right now to focus on JavaScript, because mm-hmm. I want to learn that better. But initially, I did a little bit of that, and then um, found out about... Um, Code Academy, and started doing their free courses. And the reason why I liked Code Academy at the time was their user interface was really well designed. Spoken um, like a true front end guy. Yes. <laughs> and um, a few months after I started doing their free courses, they started to offer their web intensives. Mm-hmm. So they're like mini boot camps, maybe two, three months long. They're project-based, and they're divided into front-end, back-end, web apps. Now, now there are many more. I, I haven't looked in a while, but um, I took one of their web intensives. It was really well-priced. I think it might have been around $200 for maybe 8 to 12 weeks of study. And they were divided in modules, weekly modules, and each module required you to learn a set of skills and then implement it in a project. And to me, that's the way I like to learn best, is by learning something and then creating something so that I, it actually makes sense what I learned. Right. I find that with a lot of the project-based um, modules versus the sandbox modules, like uh, data camp for the data science profession has a ton of great sandboxes but when it comes to actually showing what you've done there's very little you can do because it's all been in a virtual environment did you feel that the project-based um, applications were more useful to you or did you enjoy say maybe just in a virtual environment just to kind of get the reps in I'm not sure I understood your question let me rephrase. Um, so maybe with the front-end development, you didn't have as many um, uh, sand, you know, sandbox-like environments where you're not actually producing something. You're still on the website as you're coding. Oh, right, right. Um, versus being able to show something on your GitHub or being able to show an actual finished product to, to somebody in the future. Okay, so that was one thing that... Um, I liked about Codecademy is because they taught you how to use the command line from the start, how to set up your GitHub account, your GitHub page, so that all the projects, not all the projects, but your capstone projects, you would actually uh, push them to GitHub, and then you would have... Via the command line. Yes. Because I know a lot of the times, I'm just like, okay, GitHub... I'm just going to, you know, drag and drop <laughs> into GitHub. And I just keep reminding myself, no, the more you practice it, the better you're going to get. That's not efficient programming. Although if you're in a hurry, um, like when I'm in a hurry, I would, I just use GitHub desktop. Um, and, but knowing how it works from the command line end, when I'm using the, the desktop app, 
I know what's going on in the background. So it's not like I'm just putting stuff in there. So at least I know what's happening. Right. So if I have to do it from the command line, I know. I, re- I remember the first year of using GitHub. I thought it was just Dropbox, pretty much. Right. <laughs> and so I go to load files. I'd be like, you know, going through the, the interfaces. I'd be like, oh, this is so easy. What are people talking about? You know, Git and Bash. Like, it, it, it's so straightforward. Then finally, when I took a tutorial on how to use Bash and how to use Git, I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, there's definitely much more <laughs> to it. So what were some stumbling blocks from the beginning when you when you made this transition? You know, I found HTML and CSS pretty easy to understand. Um, the one I, I had a little bit more trouble with was JavaScript. And that's why I'm going back to, to sort of relearn it just to become better at it. Um, and I'm looking at, I'm doing it through Free Code Camp first, and then I found this uh, set of courses through Wes Boss. He has a podcast, and he he's a he's one he's he, one of his more famous courses is the JavaScript 30, where you do 30 days of different JavaScript projects for free. And then he has a few paid courses. How long does a project usually take? Uh, for JavaScript 30, it should take you one day, right? Oh, okay. So you, so you a, have the whole day to dedicate to it. So yeah, to one project. Oh, okay. Of course. No one's grading you, and it's a free program. So if you need more time, you know, it could be JavaScript 60 if you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> JavaScript and you know, whatever you want. Yeah. But... I guess in the beginning, you know, when you're learning any of these languages, you're going to feel lost and you, you're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing. And you just have to stick with it and keep working on exercises or projects. And at one point, it clicks. At one point, you're like, oh, I see what I'm doing now. I see why, mm-hmm. why I have to do things in this way. That's, that's interesting you say that because like any mental or physical activity there's a point where we all feel like we're kind of just lost in space and have no idea what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, the way you and I met was I was taking a year-long Yoda, yoga, Yoda certification, no, yoga certification maybe four <laughs> or five years ago, and you were one of the guest instructors. And I absolutely remember that in my first six months of doing yoga on a regular basis. You know, you look around and, you know, I can't even hold, like, a basic down dog. And, you know, you see people doing, you know, these crazy inversions and things like that. And you go, okay, well, you know, I'm never going to be that good or, like, I'm never going to get to that level. And I guess it could be said with coding. Like, you know, it's going to feel uncomfortable at first. For sure. It's going to feel, it can feel definitely very uncomfortable, especially when you get into the harder parts. Um, But if you're really committed and, and you see the end at the you see the light at the end of the tunnel then because for me basically I knew that it, switching gears um, to a web developer role would give me the flexibility I wanted and also the marketability because I saw how these skills are in such high demand and what I figured out was I'll, uh, to be able to leverage my years of project management in, in digital projects and then be able to take that into a web developer role and combine both skills. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, uh, and you know just make myself more marketable in that way right. and and my goal was to try to skip the junior web developer role that most people who switch end up in mm -hmm. and luckily I was able to do that and go straight into mid so let's talk about let's explore that marketability for a second so one of the struggles that I've found with people kind of making this career shift is it's very difficult to kind of get that start get that first paid gig how do you go about doing that it all comes down to your network. So around the time that I had finished um, a few courses and I felt pretty comfortable building websites from scratch, I ended up connecting with a, with a friend in my network who was starting a, uh, an online learning academy or portal, you could call it, in, in the area of personal development called iMoveUp. Dot com and he needed someone to create his first website you know they were still at the startup stage they mm -hmm. didn't have much money or they really couldn't offer me even money to begin with but I saw it as an opportunity to apply all the skills I had been building at the time and, and create a project and that ended up being a great decision on my part even if I didn't get a monetary return because I was able to add that to my portfolio. And then my, as I started interviewing for web dev positions, I could show them, hey, look, I've worked on these different projects. Here's the most recent one. This is an online learning platform. Um, you know, this is, this is how I created it. This is what I used. This is the CMS I I used um, so it, it just helped me prove to myself that I knew how to do it and then prove to future employers that I could do that as well so it sounds like you didn't really have to rebrand um, what you you were doing uh, you were able to leverage that past network that you had created in let's call it a previous life at this point can you talk a little bit about how, you know, being in the city, uh, how you were able to use that network? Was it, you know, internal communications while you were at World Bank? Was it using LinkedIn? Was it the meetups? Or was it kind of uh, a combination of all of those? So I definitely emphasized the digital skills I had acquired during my project management job at the World Bank. Um, and my first job after that was as a digital content manager. Um, at the, needed someone with my background who knew how to, who knew how coding worked or how to code, but could manage projects. So it was like one of those hybrid roles that um, actually I found out about through a colleague at the World Bank that just sent the posting around and I'm like, oh, this sounds like a great opportunity. So it wasn't a web developer job, but it was a step in the right direction. And, you know, similar to my World Bank job, it involved managing different vendors, um, di managing digital projects. So a lot of those projects I worked on, I could then use, use on my portfolio to showcase my abilities. So that was a step in the right direction. After that, I found uh, 
similar position at the American Nurses Association, this one involved definitely more coding, and but still managing projects. So that was like the next progression. So it was less management, more coding. And then my most recent position with Akuma as a web developer definitely involves more coding and creating websites and environments for Akuma's different companies to show the world what they do. So it was a progression, you know, I went from project manager to a hybrid project manager developer type role, and then I finally landed a full outright developer That's role. funny, it's kind of like the opposite of how it usually goes, because usually you come in at, say, junior data analyst, junior web developer, and that's all you're doing is developing. And then you slowly work your way up to management, and as you go further in management, you're doing less of the analytics and more of the managing of the uh, an analysts themselves. Uh, I, I find that a lot in the data science community is, you know, the, be the better that you get, um, the, the more people you're overseeing or that you're supposed to be helping, and you're really doing a lot less of the actual analytics or development. Um, and I know that's been kind of a frustration point of my own is, you know, a lot of times you just want to put some headphones on and spend six straight hours really figuring out a problem. Um, but at, when you're responsible for managing a team, you can't always do that. You always have to have kind of one ear open um, to help other analysts or developers at the same time. So that's... Yeah, especially if you're in a bigger team, right? Yeah, they're always going to give you more responsibility for sure. Yeah. Um, so now that you are at, you know, we'll, the, the zenith of your career right now, um, you had talked earlier in the interview about wanting this lifestyle where you could work remote, uh, where you could have more flexibility. You said you envied the developers at World Bank who had that. Do you feel you have a semblance of that now? Well, our vendors that we worked with, right, they weren't World Bank employees or oh, contractors. Okay. Right. But yeah, no, definitely as... As I went from one job to the other, remote work was very important to me because, especially when you're coding and doing web development, you don't have to be in the office, mm -hmm. right? In fact, I had sort of an unsavory experience working at the Paz. The managers there were so old school that if they didn't see you sit, uh, sitting at your desk, they thought you weren't working, right? So trying to do remote work with them was impossible. Mm -hmm. And I could see that attitude working if you were creating car doors or <laughs> microchips, right? A an assembly line, for lack <laughs> of a better assembly line work, it makes sense. But when you're doing creative slash technical work, it doesn't really make sense, right? Yeah. Where you could work from anywhere else. So... Once I left that job, I made sure that I was bringing that up with my future employers that mm -hmm. I was looking for environments where if remote work was something I needed to do, it would be available to me. And s along with salary, that's one of the big things that I always try to negotiate in any position, even if I don't end up using it the first few months, mm -hmm. just because I want to know it's going to be there for me. And that seemed to be a reason for the switch in the first place. Correct, yeah. I wanted more of that flexibility and the ability to set my own hours. And 
I feel so lucky in my current position because one of the first things that my current manager told me on my first day when we were talking about schedules and what to expect in the you know, the first few months, she she said, I don't care what hours you work. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'm in. I was like, oh, thank God. I knew, I knew so a manager like this existed <laughs> where it's common sense. You know, you're an adult and they trust you that you're going to get your job done. And as long as you deliver on time, that's all that should matter. It shouldn't matter how many hours you're sitting at an office desk. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. If, if you're able to deliver on time, that's what it should be. You know, that you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. So as one last question, on Translating Nerd, we've done a lot of interviews, all with data scientists th so far. Um, you are the first front-end web developer that I've talked to. Um, what A lot of the people that we talk to, a lot of people that listen, are uh, people making a career change, very similar to yourself. Um, maybe they studied political science as an undergrad, and heck, maybe even they got a master's in, say, international relations, but are finding themselves using more of the statistics, the analytics, uh, some of the basic programming, and they want to make a switch, be it web development, be it data scientist, be it um, a, a back-end developer. What is your tip for someone who feels very timid to get into that? Um, yeah, but if you had one tip, what would it be? One tip I would have is just pick an online course and do it. Could be a free one, could be a paid one. Ask other people that are currently doing it or have transitioned. Just ask them for advice. One thing that um, I did that was really helpful is at one point I wanted to take one of those 10-week, 12-week in-person boot camps that are really expensive. I'm glad I didn't do it. But, you know, uh, for example, on LinkedIn, I looked up who had done a boot camp, you know, whether it was General Assembly, Thinkful, and I just sent them messages and said, hey, listen, I'm thinking of doing this program. Can you talk to me about your experience? I maybe contacted 100 people, and out of those 100 people, 50 came back to me. And out of those 50, 10 really took the time to, to give me advice. And around five said, hey, listen, why don't we set up a phone chat and we can just talk about my experience and I can give you some advice. So reaching out to people and just learning from their experience. Right. I feel that a lot of people who make that career change are so excited to talk to somebody else who's thinking about it. Um, I, I know if anyone sends me a message, I reply ad nauseum back. And if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Yeah. Um, you can contact me on by email. Um, and I'll, I'll put that down in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn. I'll LinkedIn. I'm really happy to make the time to connect with anyone who wants to make the switch and, you know, give you my side of the story, help you get clear on what you want, talk about different <laughs> programs, different approaches you could use to learning. But, okay, so earlier I mentioned a podcast that really helped me. It's called Start Here Web Development. And I'll give you the link so you can put it in, yeah, the, I'll put in, that the, in. the notes. But I don't remember the name of the guy that does the podcast, but I remember something clearly that he said. He said, what's going to get you hired is a good portfolio where you have projects you've worked on that showcase your skills. 
and he couldn't have been more right and he he warned you know the listeners he's like you don't need to spend fifteen thousand twenty thousand dollars on a boot camp if you don't have this portfolio and he recommended finding projects to work on whether they were personal or through work or nonprofits that you could support that you could start working on complete them and put them on your portfolio and i think that's that what ma- that's what will differentiate you doesn't matter where you are relearning learning or acquiring your skills but it's your ability to demonstrate that you can actually get work done in whatever field you're looking to switch over so definitely a personal website is key with a Perfect. portfolio page and we will put that i've seen your personal website and i was blown away so i'll put that in the link well andres thank you so much for joining us Oh, thank you. No. Um, and yeah, if any of the listeners need to get some advice, get in touch, I'm always happy to help out because when I was on my search and my transition, I was so grateful when some stranger <laughs> took a few minutes of their day to help me out. Well, if you're, if you're one of those strangers listening, uh, click on the link and you get a hold of Andres. Andres, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.